what goes up must come down. Welcome to the Brand Breakdown. I'm Michelle. And I'm Courtney. And this is where we're going to track the rise and fall of big brands, from companies to celebs to pop culture phenoms and everything in between. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, This week in the Brand Breakdown, we are going to talk about the fallout from Omid Scobie's book Endgame, which we covered last week. And then we are also going to wrap up our series on the Sussexes. So I'm going to toss it over to Courtney, who's our royal aficionado, and we'll chat through some of the fallout that we have seen and, and um, read about this week. And take it away, Courtney. Yeah. So I don't think that Omid, when he wrote this book, you know, I think he thought that there would definitely be a little bit of controversy. I think he thought that he was going to definitely stir up some headlines. I don't think he expected it to go as poorly as it has. I definitely don't think that Sussexes, if they were involved, which Omid swears up and down they are not, but we've heard that story before and it turned out not to be true. Um, But if they were involved, I think they are. And even if they're not involved, I think they're surprised by the fallout on their end and how much negative negativity has come their way. Um, so for anyone who hasn't been following along in the tabloids and the news, um, the king was named as one of the royal racists, as was the Princess of Wales, Catherine, a.k.a. Kate Middleton. But please don't call her that because she hasn't been Kate Middleton for like 10 years. But anyway, um, so they were named as a royal racist. And I, I think that that has done so much harm both to... Omid's reputation as an author and a journalist, as well as the Sussex's reputation, because to be quite frank, nobody believes it. Um, It looks like a really petty, vindictive thing that Megan put out there. And it came from Megan because the the way it's laid out in the book is that Megan had written a letter to the king. And in that letter, she named him and Catherine as the ones who had been expressing concern about the color of her child's skin. Um, That is the issue that she brought up during the Oprah interview, where it first came to light that somebody in the family had potentially said something um, concerning. In the Oprah interview, they only ever called it concerning. Harry and Meghan themselves have never actually said the words like racist. Um, It's just been something that for three years, we've all been allowed to marinate on and think of like, oh, who said this concerning thing? And, you know, the implied the implication that the concerning thing was a racist thing. And so I think that naming the two people, like people just don't believe it because for his part, the King has done, he's got a 40 year track record of undertaking initiatives and starting foundations and being involved in projects that help people of color. Um, Catherine, for her part, I mean, nobody in the 20 years she's been in the public eye has ever had a negative thing to say about her with the exception of her sister-in-law. Um, and she also has a track record of working with people from a wide range of backgrounds. And it's ju- it just doesn't add up. It's just not something that seems like a reasonable conclusion to draw. <laughs> well, and I want to bring up something interesting too that we kind of touched on last week, but I've read some updates to it since then. That um, Scobie said that... Um, he in nowhere did he put in the manuscript that it was Charles and Mm -hmm. Catherine um, that the Dutch must've gotten it wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then there was this huge interview with the translator 
who said, all I do is translate. I am just writing what is there. Then if that's what was there, that's what I wrote. Like I'm not making stuff up. And she Mm -hmm. apparently has this long track record of being extremely good translator. So um, I think that there's something fishy in that as well. And I don't know how that's going to be concluded, but I do think that there's um, something rotten in Denmark uh, Mm -hmm. in that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, so the OMID's agents have confirmed that they did send the edited version to the Dutch publishing company. So my guess is that the series of events was that OMID wrote, edited, OMID wrote in a version that he signed off on. He sent to the editors. The editors edited a version. They signed off on it. And then it was sent to legal. Legal came back and said, okay, no, you have to make some changes because there were other changes in the book too. There were a few very large passages that were pretty heavily edited in the Dutch version um, besides just naming who the people were. And so I bet legal came back and said, you have to make some revisions. Omid made those revisions. He signed off. Editing signed off. Legal signed off. But in between there, after the editors had signed off and when everything was going through the legal review process, a copy was probably sent to the translators so that they could get a jump start on it because translating a book is not something that happens, you know, in five minutes. It takes a little bit of time. And so they probably sent out the early copy so that they could get a jump start on it. And somehow, some way, although his agents insist that it was the actual legal approved version was sent out, the publishing company, you know, maybe they made a decision that because they'd already paid the translators to do it and the translators perhaps were almost done or all the way finished, they just weren't going to do a second translation. Maybe somehow somebody just missed it in their inbox. I don't know how books get sent. I'm assuming it's an email, but (laughs) maybe it's an actual printed manuscript. Um, But somehow, some way, it did not get from Omid's agent who insists that they sent the legal approved version to the Dutch publishing house and into the hands of the translator. And like you said, the translator Omid kind of tried to throw them under the bus first saying, Oh, I never wrote their names in any version. That's not true. That's another example of Omid having told a lie that he was very quickly caught out on because the Dutch translator was like, no, (laughs) their names were there. I didn't make stuff up. So obviously you had to have written it. Um, And it's like you said, it's just like a really fishy situation because somebody somewhere dropped the ball. Omid has, again, been proven to have been lying, which is or maybe not. I don't want to say lying. That sounds really aggressive. But like he told a fib. He said he never wrote their names anywhere and never submitted a version that had anyone's names. And it turns out he had to have done that at some point. He may have been surprised that that was the version that was printed, but he definitely did it. So yeah, he's taken a lot of flack for that situation. And there's some, there's been some speculation, you know, is the translator going to try to sue him for slandering their name and saying that he didn't, you know, he, he said they made something up essentially. And that, that could harm the translator's reputation. Um, So we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but it was, well, I think it was drama. Oh, 100%. I think it was really unexpected uh, on Scobie's part for all of that to blow up in that way. I think he was thinking it would all blow up in terms of what he 
had disclosed about the royal family, but I don't think that's what happened. I think everybody went like, yeah, 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 whatever. We can't believe you did this. And where did you get the letters? And were the Sussexes involved? Right. And a, a week later, what I have read is that um, sales are off by 50% um, mm-hmm. in both Amazon and WH Smith. Now, I don't have their numbers. I don't know if that's true, but that's just what I read. Um, so interesting that the book might, you know, ultimately tank um, because A, nobody believes it. B, it feels like a, it feels like just a big pile of stinky poo because he's just, <laughs> you know, he's just um, defiling people in some way. It feels like again and again and again. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It just, I don't know like him. Round so. two of like, the second version of his own, his personal vendetta against the Royals. And also because, you know, he says he talks in the book a little bit about how he had to fight to get his press credentials to certain events. He was starting to get left off the list for things. So it seems like a, it's just his personal vendetta. And then B, as you said, it, a lot of it comes down to like, okay, well, where did he get the letter? He's saying Megan and Harry weren't involved. So did someone from the palace give him a copy of the letter? I sincerely doubt that. So where did he get it from? Um, So he must have at some point had contact with Meghan and Harry or the way it worked out with Finding Freedom, which was proven in a court of law. And this is not speculation. This was something Meghan had to apologize and admit to. She had specifically authorized her team to discuss certain things. So Omid would reach out to her team, ask some questions. Her team would send the email to Megan. She would write out all of her responses and then email, send the email back to her team and her team would forward it on to Omid. Or, you know, maybe they would take her email address off of it to try to eliminate a paper trail or something. But she was very much the one providing the information for finding freedom. And it's, Omid says, oh no, no, that didn't happen this time. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to believe you? You already told me it didn't happen one time. And that was a lie. So now I don't believe that it didn't happen a second time, especially when you seem to have information that there's no way else you could have it unless she gave it to you. It's just It so feels like weird. his credibility is shot. Yeah. I can't see him ever being taken seriously as a journalist again, or as some sort of, you know, royal biographer with, well-placed sources because it just keeps turning out that his well-placed source is Harry and Meghan complaining. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's really a, I guess it's a well-placed source if that's what your book is about, just Harry and Meghan complaining. But there's nothing, nobody takes him seriously. Nobody had really taken him seriously for a while. He was always referred to as the Sussex's friend, the Sussex's mouthpiece. Um, nobody was really referring to him as a reporter anymore. And this, I think, is just the final nail in the coffin on that. Well, if I don't know how you could take somebody seriously as a journalist if you feel like their journalistic integrity is compromised. Right. You yeah. Know? So it, what's he what's he doing from here? Like I, I don't I don't I don't know that he has a way back into the royals. Um I think yeah. he blew that popsicle stand. I mean, I think he technically right now still holds the position of like editor at large for some U.S. publication. Um, 
Harper's Bazaar and a royal contributor at ABC News. And he also appears on Good Morning America. He has covered some royal events for various U.S.-based news outlets. I can't see those positions if he still holds them. This might, this what I'm reading right here on this list might be a little outdated. I can't see those continuing. I don't think any U.S. news station is going to be like, oh yeah, let's have this guy on again, unless they're interviewing him about the fallout from all of this. So yeah, I don't know. I think, I think for Scobes, I think for Scobes, this is it. <laughs> this is kind of the end of his royal reporting career he did used to be an entertainment reporter maybe he goes back to that maybe he takes a step out of the royal circle and realizes this is not where he should be but even then who's going to trust him you know like no matter what he's trying to report on who is going to believe a word he says yeah i don't i don't know i don't know that anybody is i kind of feel sorry for him because he really trusted in his <clears throat> let's call them sources um, and I think that they've, you know, I think that, that he just, what is it called? What is it when you, uh, bid on the wrong horse or whatever you, you, uh, bet the wrong he backed, horse. He backed the wrong horse. He backed the wrong horse. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, he says in the book that he made a conscious decision to focus his reporting on Megan when it came out that she was dating Harry and all of that stuff. So he says like that was a conscious decision. He wasn't, you know, given assignments by his employer to follow her stuff. That was his choice. And I think that was definitely the wrong choice. He backed the wrong horse. He doubled down on it too. Like as, as it started to become obvious that there was disagreements between the Waleses who were at the time, the Cambridges and the Sussexes, he doubled down and he really latched on to team Sussex. And I think he thought, you know, he was, it, it worked to an extent. He was getting a lot of clicks. His articles were doing very well because there was so much drama around them. But wanting to be attached to the people who create the most headlines because they're causing the most drama in a negative way is not a great move for longevity, right? And I think he thought when Megxit happened and the Sussexes came to the U.S. like okay they're gonna make this big splash they've got this whole second like second round that he gets to cover now as their most trusted reporter kind of but none of that ever came to fruition it, we are now three years past Megxit it still has not panned out for them and he burned just as Harry and Meghan have have done he burned so many bridges that nobody wants to kind of I don't want to say nobody wants to work with him anymore I don't think that's the case but his his credibility shot he just he picked the wrong side and it didn't work out the way anyone on that side thought it was going to work out well you know I, I mean I don't know any of them and this is all pure speculation on our part but anytime that you do something that you know is going to intentionally hurt another person, whether be it privately or publicly, and this was very public, you run a gigantic risk of huge backlash. Mm -hmm. um, because people, while people are have, uh, you know, no doubt enjoy salacious gossip and, you know, you know, some of what we do on here is kind of reporting some of the, the scuttlebutt, you don't want to hurt other people. Like, I mean, I don't, I am not 
trying to hurt anybody. And I think, you know, some of what has been written and some of what has been said was intentionally, deliberately, overtly hurtful to Mm -hmm. a great number of people. Yeah, for sure. I I totally agree. I think there's a difference between, you know, like, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, we're doing the right thing, but like, we're taking information, we're distilling it, we have our opinions on stuff, but we're providing facts, we're providing a basis for all of this. And I think that we've also, there have been some things where we've both kind of said, like, you know, this might not be the right approach to this, like, maybe I shouldn't say it like this, or like, we've been swayed one way or the other. And I think, like you said, and I think that what Omid and Harry and Megan are doing is like, they're just, like you just said, they're just trying to hurt people. They're just trying to like get their pound of flesh and make people feel bad because they feel bad. And that's not what I want to do. I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I'm just looking at a situation being like, here's what happened. Here's the facts of the situation. I have some opinions about it that are my personal opinions, but like, I'm not trying to hurt people. And Omid and Harry and Megan are just trying like think of how much content the three of them have created with the only objective of just hurting people it's crazy the three of them have made careers out of it well you know i think that harry thought that putting spare out there was some sort of cathartic release for him and i'm all for the catharsis don't get me wrong you you know me you know i i love to for everybody to air their concerns and let's work them out i don't think you should do that in front of seven and a half billion people yeah you know work that no. shit Talk out to privately your therapist, have a family meeting right, right? like have <laughs> like, some family therapy like i don't think that those things need to be aired you know i mean i don't know i think if i wrote my tell-all memoir it would be boring because while i've had a very exciting life in some ways i don't want the whole world to know about it um so yeah, I don't know. And I even posthumously, I wouldn't want to hurt people, you know, because um, I don't There's want to destroy reason. people's memories. There's a reason that the royal family, all of their papers are sealed for 100 years because no, they don't ever want anyone living to be able to read what they all like, keep diaries and stuff, you know, for posterity. And they don't want anyone to be able to read that. They don't, their wills are all sealed for a hundred years because they don't want anyone living to be able to, you know, be affected or offended by something that happened privately. And then Harry goes and does the exact opposite and writes an entire book and airs all of his family's dirty laundry, which is like not acceptable if you're a regular person, never mind if you're part of a family who literally sets the standard for keeping private things private. <laughs> and like, I love, I love that idea of writing my memoir and then sealing it for a hundred years. I mean, I don't know if, as a, as a planet, if we'll still be here in a hundred years <laughs> or, or if I'll have any oh, progeny that has that. progeny. Um, well, Hey, listen, if we don't get some, some of these things in check, you know, know. there's, I mean, there's, and that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day, but <laughs> there's some, there's some stuff that needs to happen in order for our, world as a whole to to um survive look up the fermi paradox if you're interested um but anyway um 100 years is a is a is a good is a good ceiling point i think i'm going to do that i'm gonna write a memoir and then seal it for 100 years yeah although i bet you 20 bucks my daughter would open that as soon as i was dead (laughs) she was like 100 years of my butt i'm opening it she might wait 100 minutes maybe (laughs) 
maybe a hundred seconds. So yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I like that idea a hundred years. All right. So I feel like the, the bottom line is that while Endgame was a titillating book for many, um, I don't think that long-term it's got the legs that maybe um, the author thought it would have. And it mm-hmm. certainly did not produce the effect of damaging the Royal family in the way that he maybe hoped because I think that it did not damage them and that people have rallied around them and that they might take legal action, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for sure, like the next day or maybe the couple days later, Catherine had an engagement. The King was out and about. They just had the diplomatic reception. We are recording this on Wednesday. They had the annual diplomatic reception last night, which is a tiara event. Um, And People are just really, like you said, they're rallying around the king and Catherine. Nobody is sitting there saying, oh, my God. I mean, there are some people who are saying, oh, my God, how could they do this? Um, those people are pretty much, you know, diehard Sussex fanatics. So they were going to do that no matter what. Um, but for the most part, every every reporter, every newspaper, every like on the U.S. and U.K. side, like anybody who has an opinion on the matter is saying, oh, wow, how could they do that to the king and to Kate especially? And it just seems like it, yeah, it backfired. It, it did no damage other than making, it did damage to Harry and Meghan. It did not damage the royals in any way. Somebody in Montecito came out to say that Montecito was not interested in the book. Which kind of made me laugh because it's like, is it like the mayor of Montecito? Is it the the barista? I mean, I love Montecito. Right. That place is absolutely gorgeous. But I'm like, who who's who's making that, you know, assumption or decree yeah. or whatever? We are not interested. Um, who is standing just, for the whole city of Montecito? <laughs> right? It's kind of funny. So anyway, so, all right, so we've wrapped that up. I think we can put a pin in that um, unless we hear something else. But let's go ahead and wrap up where we are with the Sussexes. This is the last episode for the Sussexes themselves, unless something kind of drops and is crazy. However, just so you guys know, we're going to continue to do our royal series, the royal mess, and we're going to continue to cover the royals. Um from here into maybe perpetuity. We're not really sure. And these episodes will start airing on Tuesdays and then we'll have regular brand breakdown episodes um, airing on Thursdays as we have been for the last several months. Um, so anyway, Yay. let's, I know it's super exciting. We've had so much interest in the Royals that we want to keep it going for you guys because um, I think there's just a lot of curiosity there and interest and we'll continue to, to look at it from a brand perspective. Like how does it hurt the Royal brand? How does it hurt the, monarchy how does it help the monarchy um it'll still be a brand thing we just will cover other members of the family yeah gotta give the people what they want gotta give the people what they want that's right all right that said so let's wrap up where were we when we left off i think we were at the the queen had just died right yes so we left off the last time we were speaking about the sussexes with the queen's death and how that had kind of, you know, rocked everything. The queen was on the throne for 70 years. So there's literally like three generations who have only ever known her as the monarch, really, because the oldest generation knew her father, but she was there for the majority of it. Obviously, the middle generation had him their whole life, and then the younger generation had her for most of the time. So having Charles on the throne is 
kind of a culture shock to a lot of people. But in the Sussex world, it really rocked the boat because the queen had kind of been their protector a little bit. Um, And also the queen kind of shielded William and Charles specifically from having to be the bad guys because everything was able to be under the guise of, you know, the queen had made this decision. When the queen died, a couple of things that really rocked the Sussex's world took place immediately, right? Like the moment she died, Charles ascended the throne and became king. William and Harry and everyone in the line of succession all bumped up one. And Meghan and Harry's children became eligible to hold the title of prince and prince. Prior to the queen dying, this was not their legal right. They were eligible to be titled as the children of a duke. Um, Harry and Meghan elected not to do that and elected to just have them be Miss Lilibet rather than Lady Lilibet and Master Archie instead of Lord Archie, um, which is within their right to do. However, the moment uh, Charles became king, they became technically, legally, Prince Archie and Princess Lilibet. And this kind of, amidst all of the drama, amidst all of the sadness of the queen dying, this also kind of set off a firestorm because then people started saying, okay, when are they going to start calling them prince and princess? Are they getting their birthright? Will they be allowed to use their titles or is the king going to withhold them from them? And if the king withholds them, is this a racist thing or is this just part of the streaming, streamlining the monarchy, which has long been for like, I don't know, since William and Catherine got married, we've been hearing about the king wanting to streamline the monarchy when he took the throne. So there was all of these, um, all of this stuff took place. And I think the biggest shock to Harry and Meghan's system was what happened the day after the queen died. The queen died on September 8th. She was 96 years old. She had reigned for 70 years. And at that moment, Charles became king. William was still the Duke of Cambridge at this point. In order to become the Prince of Wales, it's not an automatic title. It has to be conveyed. And so on September 9th, the day after the queen died, the king made a televised speech. And in that speech, he addressed his son as the Prince of Wales. So it wasn't a formal, you know, there was no formal ceremony. There is not going to be an investiture. Um, There was no formal like document or press release. The king just simply kind of said it in his televised statement. And at that moment, William became not only first in line to the throne, but he became the Prince of Wales, while Harry remained the Duke of Sussex. There is no like optional title for Harry to take at this point. And every he he also mentioned, you know, his beloved son and daughter-in-law making their life overseas, which everybody people kind of took that as a dig to the Sussexes, as if he was saying, you know, like they're they're overseas, they're there. This is not a moment where they're going to be talking about coming back because I'm acknowledging the fact that they are no longer here. And the next day on September 10th, the royals who were at Windsor, so it was William and Catherine, now the Waleses, and Meghan and Harry, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, did a surprise walkabout outside of Windsor Castle. And this was the very first time that we had seen them all together not only since the queen died, but it was the first time we had seen them together in months. I think almost 
maybe six months at that point, maybe even longer. Um, we had not seen them together. This was the first time we'd seen them together since the Oprah interview. Um, Archetypes, Megan's podcast had started airing during this time. It had to go on hiatus when the queen died, but a few episodes had already come out. And the tension between the two couples was, you I, like, I've never seen any royal look so uncomfortable in any situation as the four of them look. And, and this is I before think, Spare, right? Yep, this is before Spare. This, so, like, Spare has not even Two months. Yet. Like, two months before Spare? She, when did she die? August? She died in September, and the Netflix documentary came out in December, and Spare came out either, I think either December or January, but the, Net, uh, the Spare came out right after the documentary. So this was just a couple months before the Netflix documentary. So they knew, or the docu-series, rather. So they knew that the docu-series was coming out. Um, they knew Spare was coming out. They had already seen Oprah. They had already heard Megan a little bit on archetypes talk about, you know, all these like digs or whatever. And I think the most telling thing of their walkabout was there is a video that I will post in the show notes for you guys where Kate looks at Megan and gives her what can only be described as like a death glare. Like she puts Megan in her place. Megan looks so uncomfortable and terrified and Kate just stares her down like don't look at me don't speak to me don't talk to me don't even come near me and I've never seen like I've been following the Royals for a very long time I have been a fan of Kate Middleton since she was just a girlfriend I have never seen her look anything less than happy and she looked like she was literally about to murder somebody do you think that something had been said or that she's just so pissed off at that point about what happened in the Oprah interview she's giving like mad side eye so what we've been told by both sides is that the, the walkabout was initially never supposed to include the Sussexes. And at the last moment, William decided to invite them because they were in Windsor. And remembering also that at this point, when the Queen was dying, Harry and his brother and his uncles and aunts, aunts uh, actually, were trying to get to Scotland to see the Queen before she died. Um... Harry did not arrive with everybody to Balmoral, if if you all recall. He took had to take a private flight. He It was said that the royals were in a private plane and they were waiting an hour on the tarmac. And we were people were tracking this plane. Like, I was glued to the news, like, seeing when this plane was going to take off, when it was going to land. Because at this point, the queen had not... We knew something was very wrong that day. All the BBC reporters were dressed in black. It was crazy. Um crazy for a royal watcher not crazy for the rest of the normal world um <laughs> but <laughs> so we hear that there is this plane it's a RAF Northolt and it is on the tarmac and members of the royal family are in this plane and they are headed to Scotland and they waited on the tarmac for an hour during this time what is said to have been happening is that Harry was insisting that Meghan be allowed to come with him and his father was saying no she is not invited William at that point made the rumor has it that Catherine wasn't coming because the kids had just started school the day before. And so Catherine was going to be staying home with the children. And it was like, you know, if, if she's not coming, Megan can't come because Catherine is now the prince. She's going to become momentarily, basically the princess of Wales. Her husband is first in line to the throne. It doesn't look right for Megan to be here if Kate is not. And Harry was doing the whole, like, 
I want her here. She's my wife. Don't talk to my wife about like, don't talk about my wife this way. Like she's entitled to be there. And Charles and William were putting their feet down and being like, no, she's not coming. And so Harry did not make that flight because at some point it was decided like they couldn't wait around any longer for this to be resolved. They had to leave. Um, The Royals who were on that flight were William and then Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, and Sophie, Edward's wife. So the Queen's two two younger sons and her daughter-in-law. Because of the delay, they were not able to make it in time to say goodbye to her, to see her still alive. So the royals have a lot of animosity there because reportedly, you know, Harry's little temper tantrum about Meghan kept Andrew and Edward from being able to see their mother one last time and say goodbye because they they arrived they landed in scotland um like very shortly after she died and then it was still like an hour ride to or it's like 40 minutes i think from the airport to balmoral so it was kind of like had they left on time they would have made it and so when so that had happened on the 8th and there's this big fight about is megan coming Everyone's very upset because people miss their opportunity to say goodbye. Catherine, who has always, always, always put the royal family first, was likely very upset just because, like, she has to deal with all this drama and, like, it's not about any of them. Um, And reportedly, the car ride down the long walk at Windsor when they went out to meet everybody at the gates was silent. Like, they did not speak in the car. William invited Harry via text. They had to wait 40 minutes for them to get ready because it was such a last minute invitation that Megan and Harry like were not planning on attending. There is a rumor, and this is just a rumor, and there's not much proof that it's true, but there is a rumor that part of the reason William invited slash told them to come with him and Catherine is because the Sussexes were planning their own walkabout with Netflix crews in tow. Um some people say that in some of the photos of Megan that day, you can see she's wearing a mic pack. I don't, I've never looked at them that closely. I choose to believe that's not true, but those are some of the rumors that are out there. Um, and so reportedly William said, you have to come with us because you're not doing this on your own and turning it into fodder for your Netflix show. Some other sources, including Omid, say that the king told William he had to invite his brother and it was going to be like, you know, we're just going to do this as a show of unity just invite him and William was like fine okay I'll invite him um but it was such a last minute inter- uh such a last minute invitation that they had to push that walkabout back 40 minutes because Megan and Harry needed time to get ready and William and Catherine are just they just look furious and Megan and Harry just look so uncomfortable and it's just the most awkward thing when you see the four of them get out of the car and you just see the look on everybody's face. It's just the most, like, I would not have wanted to have been in that car because the tension was probably suffocating. And it was probably a literal physical feeling of uncomfortableness for whoever had to drive <laughs> that car. I, yeah. And what a terrible day to have to do all that, too. Like, you're mourning someone that you truly loved because right. the queen was truly loved by all of them. I think also including Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's not a, it's not good for any of them. So anyway, no. so we did the walkabout. Yep. And then, and then this is the first time that I think you know I had said at the beginning of this little spiel of mine that the queen dying really shook things for Harry because 
we started this entire series of the Sussexes talking about Harry and William had been brought up with this idea that you guys are equal. You are royals, you know, you're second and third in line to the throne, but first and foremost, you are brothers, you are equal. And as they got older, this equality, especially once William got married and then Harry got married, this equality started to kind of be chipped away at because they have this natural position in the hierarchy of the royal family and in their jobs, if we're going to call being a royal a job, where there's this hierarchy where they're actually not equal. William will be king one day. And up until this point, they were both royal dukes. They were both um, the oldest adults in the line of succession. You know, William's kids put some space between them, but they were the oldest direct line of succession adults. They were before the before Prince Andrew and um, Prince Edward and Princess Anne. And the minute the queen died and Charles became, uh, Charles became king, William became first in line to the throne. And then the king publicly named William as the Prince of Wales. That's a huge dynamic shift. There is no pretending anymore that we are equal, that William and Harry as members of the royal family hold the same role. As soon as the queen died, William became the Duke of Cornwall, which may be a familiar title to some of you because Camilla up until this point had always gone by the Duchess of Cornwall. And that's because that is the automatic title of the heir to the throne. And so William became the Duke of Cornwall and took over the Duchy of Cornwall, which is a, I think it's a $1.5 billion per year property portfolio. Um, and it, like many, many thousands upon thousands of acres of land. And he instantly became one of the richest people in the country. He became the Prince of Wales. He became next in line to the throne. And it just, it really shakes the dynamic where Harry can no longer lean on this thought of like, oh, everything is so unfair to me because me and my brother are the same. And it's just the first time where... Harry actually has to now defer to his brother. There is no more, you know, we're both the grandchildren of the monarch. Um, even though, yes, they're both sons of the monarch, William's position is so much more constitutionally important at this point and within the hierarchy of the family and within all of the protocols of the family. Harry has to now actually defer to his brother and Megan has to defer to Kate. And I think that also led to some of the tension that we saw that day because like, I don't think that William and Catherine have ever been people who, you know, stand on protocol and say like, oh, this person has to do so-and-so whatever thing in my presence. But I bet that day there was just this feeling of, you know, like Megan's got a curtsy to them type of thing. <laughs> Um, and we all know how Megan feels about curtsying. So it was just a huge shift in the dynamic. And I think that for Megan and Harry, from the brand perspective, it really became, th this was like when the fight really had to start because now they had to fight for their children's titles. They had to fight to be like, even though they're the prince and princess of Wales, we are still, you know, Harry's still the son of the king. And 
we are still just as important. And from a branding perspective, they'd already done so much damage to their brand that it really became like an uphill, even even more of an uphill climb for them at that point, I think. Well, and this is before the Netflix documentary and mm-hmm. Spare. So yeah. this is just the Oprah interview at this point, And they left the um, royal family, essentially. Yep, this is just Megxit and the Oprah interview. I think that there was some talk about were there last minute edits to the Netflix docuseries? Were there last minute edits to spare after the queen died to try to include some information or soften things up? I couldn't possibly say. I don't know. My guess is that when the queen died for Harry and Meghan, the gloves came off. The things they started doing, you know, they went from, I don't want to say they were like being respectful, but they were being a little bit more quiet before the queen died. And I feel like when the queen died, they were like, okay, we don't have to be respectful of this, you know, woman who's revered around the world. Like they knew they'd never score any points by going against the queen. They knew they'd never score any points by insulting the queen because she's just beloved everywhere. But they know that there are people who don't like Charles and who really don't like Camilla. And they were like, okay, now we can try to use that to our advantage. And so I think they started playing a little bit dirty. I think that you know, that might be when Harry inserted some stuff into Spare about Camilla being the one who would throw him under the bus and stuff like that, because he no longer really cared about playing nice because he felt that when the queen died and his brother became Prince of Wales and his father said in his televised speech, you know, my my son and my daughter-in-law making their life overseas, he probably felt like, okay, like, that's the line in the sand. I don't have to play fair anymore. And not that they'd been playing super fair in the first place, but they were no longer restraining themselves. Oh, that's true. If you read Spare, there's pretty little restraint in, mm-hmm. in what he says in Spare. I mean, he puts it all out there. Well, so, okay, so then the docuseries comes out. It's actually not widely received. Like, people don't really didn't really like it that much. Yeah, Um, it's funny because it was very, it was widely watched, but not widely enjoyed. (laughs) I think a lot of people hate watched it. I think a lot of people watched it just because they were curious, but nobody, again, I don't want to say nobody, but a lot of people watched it and were like, oh, okay. So this is just Oprah again. We're just getting more whining and, you know, you guys sound really bitter And they included the part where Megan makes fun of having to curtsy to the queen. And she says it's like that restaurant, um, medieval times. And people are like, oh, you can't take a dig at the royal family like that. You know, we still respect this institution. And people kind of started to be like, all right, there's nothing really new here. You're just whining again, which becomes a pattern with the Sussexes. (laughs) Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, it only got a 45% from critics and a 19% from viewers. So the the audience score was only 19%. Yeah, people didn't, like I said, a lot of people watched it, I think just out of curiosity, um, but people did not like it. People did not like <laughs> what they saw, which is not great news for the Sussexes who are trying to, you know, build a brand on themselves because they're not trying to build a brand on any sort of talent they're not trying to build a brand on any sort of deliverable that they've brought to market they're trying to build a brand on themselves and people don't like them (laughs) 
unfortunately well, for them. Well, it's kind of boring, if I'm honest. I mean, it was yeah. kind of a boring docuseries. I, I thought Spare, well, you know, poorly written. Um, and one of my friends was like, I can't believe you made me read this. It's pure drivel. Um <laughs> she's like it's so whiny i just want to i just want to die um but she read it anyway for me um but uh it's pretty you know there's a lot of it that there's no new revelations and it's you know it's not like the it's not like they're they're not truly setting the world on fire you know in in terms of what they're doing with their brand and how they're helping other people and etc they're not truly doing anything to make a difference yet other than in their own pocketbook. Right. Yeah. Like they said really... they would. Like, I mean, lots of people do things and they don't make a difference. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I've done a million things that haven't made a difference, but I'm saying that there are two people who say they are going to make a difference. That is their life's work. They want to mm-hmm. be those people. And yet so far in the last three and a half years, that's, we haven't seen any of that as far as I know, unless I'm missing something. I mean, it's funny. They've done, they've done some things that could be considered, I guess, like charitable things to do. But they always seem to come back and bite them in the butt because, you know, for example, on Veterans Day, they went to a veteran ceremony in Cal- or a veteran cemetery in California to lay some roses on a British soldier's grave, which is, you know, very kind and thoughtful. But they brought a camera crew with them. And during the time they were there, they blocked families of other veterans from being able to access the cemetery to see the to go visit the graves of their loved ones um and they did this just as you know a publicity stunt they went to uvalde or megan went to uvalde after that horrible school shooting and brought you know she brought supplies like food and water and stuff for the volunteers but also brought a camera crew they went to a school in i think it was in harlem where Megan donated some of some copies of her book, The Bench, to the school, but they brought a camera crew. And they also, back and forth with the publicist, has been leaked of that visit where it was very clear they were just there for, you know, they weren't caring about making a difference. Megan was there because she wanted to get some good PR. And so they keep doing things where, on the face of it, it's like, oh, that looks like it was a nice thing to do. And it's like, but wait, why'd you bring... Why did you bring your own photographer? Why is there a videographer? Why are you mic'd up? Oh, because you need content. You're not doing this out of the goodness of your heart. You're doing it because you're going to monetize this visit to a school shooting, um, which I don't think has appeared anywhere um, because the backlash was absolutely insane from it. People were horrified that she was photographed there, that she had brought a crew there. And so I think that, you know, they said they were going to have this life of service. They said su- service is universal. And then, like you said, they haven't really made an impact in any way. They've just been rehashing the same story for like four years and just bashing their family repeatedly. And now we've got Endgame that came out, which is just more of the same from a different different vantage point, but it's not even new information. And people are just kind of over them and sick of them and they're like okay just show us you know do something deliver something give us good content and you know maybe you can try to redeem yourself maybe you can make it in hollywood because you are producing these amazing films or documentaries or whatever but until you stop using your own life as fodder we're we're bored with you already and we're unimpressed and uninspired 
which is never a great position to be in. <laughs> well, it tanked their brand completely. Anything yeah. that they hope to achieve by being the, the what, what, what was their first moniker? Like the Royal something. Um, Sussex Royal. The Sussex Royal. Uh, you know, when they had their beautiful stationery, their beautiful logo, their beautiful website, they had all these big plans. They were going to do all this stuff. If they had kept themselves out of it and gone mm-hmm. ahead and showcased the um, ideologies or the charities or the work or the service that they wanted to do instead of that continued self-focus, they mm-hmm. could have actually done something with that brand. They could have actually, and and done it actually as working royals had they had they had the uh, wherewithal to do that, which they did not. Um, yeah. So they tanked, in my opinion, they tanked their brand way before the Oprah interview um, mm-hmm. because because they stepped away from their intentionality and into spotlight grabbing, I don't know, what's what's a good word? Um, Fame whoring? Fa- did you say fame whoring? Is that a thing? I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you've never heard that? Yeah. I'm, and I got, that's such a good word. Fame whoring. Yeah. Yes, that's it. So so in my opinion, they tanked their brand three and a half years ago. Everything has just been fallout from that. Even like mm-hmm. the, the, the Spot, Spotify deal, the Netflix deal, all that stuff, everything, the in-game book, every finding freedom, everything. None of it, none of it has redeemed them in any way where they could actually pick up the pick up the um the baton and keep running with the service that they intended to do from what they say in the first place so you know we talk about that one of the things we want to do on this podcast is say like all right the brand imploded can it be redeemed is it is there redemption for them Uh, At the end of all this, you know, if you asked me, even if you asked me right after Oprah, I probably would have been like, yes, they can turn this ship around. They said their piece. Let's move on. Let's focus on putting out good content or, you know, making a difference or whatever it is. We are now an Oprah interview, two magazine interviews, a docuseries, a podcast and a book and then two books written by other people into them just making a brand out of trashing Harry's family. Never mind what Megan's done in the in terms of like trashing her own father. I, I don't know. I think the only way for them to turn it around and redeem themselves is to disappear for a while. They have yes. to yes. they have to disappear, let us not hear a peep out of them and just you know, I don't think anyone's ever gonna necessarily forget that all of this has happened. But if they kind of go underground for a little while and then they come out in a year or two with some new commercial venture or not, maybe it's a nonprofit. Maybe we just see that they've made a donation somewhere. I don't know. But if we if they give people time to not be so annoyed with them, maybe Megan had said in the Oprah interview, like I was everywhere and nowhere. And that's how it still feels like we don't see the Sussexes out a lot. But we are hearing about them constantly. And the reason we are hearing about them is because they are putting out stories. They are putting out content. Their team is leaking this, that, and the other thing. And it makes what she said on Oprah, you know, she was everywhere and nowhere because that was by design of the royals. Like she couldn't have a life. It's like, oh no, you're still doing that. 
and you complained about it then because you didn't like it. But guess what? Like, we don't like it now (laughs) because the everywhere we're getting is so negative. And I think the only hope they have is to just go away for a bit, for a while, like two years minimum. I think, I think you're right. And here's, here's something else I think. So a lot of times redemption happens when you have a quote unquote coming to Jesus with yourself, you know, when you can kind of look at your own hubris or your arrogance and say, all right, here are all the things that I did wrong. Here are all the flaws. We're all flawed. We're all broken. So, Hey, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not broken. I hundred percent am. Um, but if you're able to look at that brokenness and saying, what from this, where, where's my way forward, where I can be someone who serves if that's what they want, if that's, if that's their, what they want to hang their hat on, how do I serve? Well, you don't serve by being self-serving, right? That's not serving. That's just self-serving. So in order to be serving, I think going away, making a new plan, looking at where you can do what, what was their thing? Do good or something. Um, I think, and, and not make yourself the center of it. Like that's, that's the thing. Like do great work. We want that. We want you to do great work. God knows that there are so many charitable institutions that desperately need help from people who can bring the help. I have no doubt that they can still rally people to bring the help. They just don't need to be at the center of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I do think there's redemption, but they need to, they need to make it they're a life of service and not a life of self-service. I mean, even though if they were they were just going to go the commercial route, right? They're like, you know, we don't want to just be like running a nonprofit or whatever. Megan wants to like if she had brought back the TIG right away and or she had gone down the, you know, the Gwyneth lifestyle guru type of thing right away oh my god the money she could have made they said when they left they wanted to become financially independent if megan had brought back the tag rolled out a lifestyle line maybe you know been an influencer for some skincare brand or something she would have been rolling in money they would have been so financially independent it would have been insane because at that point people didn't have this necessarily negative connotation of them and people were kind of like okay they're gonna do their own thing I think the curiosity, you know, if Megan had started endorse, like becoming kind of an influencer, you know, endorsing brands or whatever, I think the curiosity factor of like, oh, okay, well, like a, a princess uses this product. Let me check it out. People totally would have gotten behind it. And I think that she, she messed up by not going the commercial route right away. And now after making such a big deal about, oh, it's a life of service, service is universal, universal, all of that, then to start trying to do more commercial stuff, which is what we're going to, you know, what the content deals were. It's what we're going to see with the content that still has to come out from Netflix where they're producing that movie that they bought the book rights to. It's kind of like, oh, wait, I thought you said you guys were going to be like charitable. What happened to that aspect of everything? And it's another time where they kind of, talked a little bit too much and shot themselves in the foot. So I think they made a misstep there, but I'd love to see, I would, I would still, after all of this, after all of this, after feeling so personally hurt by them, (laughs) I would still love to see Megan go the Gwyneth, like become like a mashup of like Gwyneth and Angelina and go the 
lifestyle guru humanitarian route and make it work. But like you said, she has to take herself out of it. It can't be about like her plight and her problems and how hard it's been for her. It has to be about other people and just bringing some sort of like joy to the world as opposed to airing her grievances constantly. Yeah, I agree with that 100% entirely. And, you know, uh, I'm not a huge Angelina fan. And please, I'm so sorry, but I'm not. Um, oh, I'm not I, am a, I think what she did to Jennifer Aniston is atrocious, and I will never forgive her. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, it's more than that. But I am a huge Gwyneth Paltrow fan. Um, I think that she has done really fabulous things with the goop, um, the goop, I don't know, conglomerate, I guess it mm-hmm. is now. I mean, it's a big yeah. deal. And she, while she's a part of it, she is, she has a lot of people around her who do a lot of things and they are also a part of it. It looks like she gives a lot of opportunity to a lot of people, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, And she doesn't come out and say, I'm living a life of service. No, she's living a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle brand. Um, And while she says, I really hope women love this and it's for women and, you know, it's such a great thing and it's incredibly expensive. I can't even afford her candle. Um, but I think it's fun and fun to watch her and fun to watch the influencers who are on it. And the lifestyle is really fun and fun to look at the products. If Megan were to do something like that without hubris or without whining or just having fun doing a lifestyle brand and kind of said to the world, like, Hey, I realized that like, I'm not making the difference I wanted to make. So I'm going to do this lifestyle brand and hopefully bring some joy to some women. And I think that's okay for now while I reconfigure what I'm going to do somewhere else. I would be, I would be so happy to hear that from her. Um, because I think she's cute and I think that she's pretty and is fashionable and has all the, all the necessary ingredients to have a great lifestyle brand. Go do yeah. that, you know? Um, yeah. And I think one of the things about Gwyneth's brand that Megan could totally emulate is that Me- Gwyneth is unabashedly aspirational, right? Like she knows her products are ridiculously priced. She's not pretending <laughs> that this is like, you know, every person can afford this and that this is a reasonable price point. She knows it's aspirational and she leans into that and she kind of does it with a little bit of a smirk a wink and a, and a shrug, smile. Yeah, yes. exactly. Like yes. she, and like, while Gwyneth's brand is very aspirational, Gwyneth herself, herself still seems very approachable. And I think Megan could have done that. Like she so could have been the approachable yet aspirational person. I mean, like what's more aspirational than a literal princess and what is more approachable than a girl with divorced parents who's biracial, who grew up in a regular house, just like you and me and who became a duchess. Like it would have been the perfect brand. She would have made so much money if that was the goal was to make money, which it seems like it was for all their talk of service. It seems like money was the goal. You know, they said financial independence, like whatever. And I think she just blew it because now people don't like her as a person. So like, it's no longer, she's no longer approachable. And she's not that aspirational because nobody really wants to be like her. You know what I mean? Like she kind of ruined that avenue a little bit. I still think she could do it. I still think she could pull it off, but like she's got to give enough time to let it go um, and to let people kind of forget. And I don't know that 
I don't know that we'll ever, ever see an apology out of the Sussexes. I would love to see, though, I think that would actually kind of be key to their brand redemption. Not necessarily some sort of like grand public apology or whatever, but I think acknowledgement, acknowledgement. I just think we've got to see them on good terms with the people that they've slighted. We don't have to know what happened behind the scenes. I don't have to hear Megan say, like, personally, I don't have to hear Megan and Harry say, like, we're sorry for what we've done. But I need to know that the people they've done it to forgive them or the people they've done it to can get past it. So I can, too, you know? Yeah. And I don't know about Harry. Kate's over it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I don't know that, honestly, I mean, I mean, right now she's in it, but maybe when she gets through this and this kind of dies down, I think Kate is really has washed her hands of Megan, frankly. Um, And maybe Harry to some degree too. I think it's going to take an act of God for them to get back together. If I'm honest, I'm sorry, but I do. They've, they really, they hurt their whole family. They didn't hurt just one person. They hurt individually each member of the family. Yeah. Um, So even after Kate, who like Kate and Harry had been so close for so long and she was always throughout all of the drama, it was always reported like, Kate was trying to get William and Harry to talk. Kate was trying, like she was still in contact with Harry, even when when William wasn't talking to him anymore. And I think when Harry went after her in spare and then again, letting Omid go after her in the book, I think that that, I think Kate's the person. If I think if they can get Kate to forgive them, that will open the door for William and Charles to forgive them as well. But I think right now, the royal like William especially like he could Harry could have insulted William all day long but like the second he went after Kate and spare that was probably it and Kate has to be the one who says it's okay we can move on and I do think that Kate is the type of person where that will happen at some point because she understands that her position is to be for the greater good always and if the greater good means forgiving her brother-in-law and her sister-in-law so that for example her kids can grow up with their cousins you know so that Archie and Lilibet can grow up with their family I think Kate will be the bigger person put it aside and do what's right for everybody not necessarily what just feels right to her because she's hurt and I really think the kids will come into play I really think making sure that Archie and Lilibet are part of the family is what's going to bring everybody back together. I will say, I feel like that Archie and Lilibet will suffer the most from the fallout because they're not Mm -hmm. only separated from Harry's entire family. They're also separated from 50% of Megan's entire family. They only have Mm -hmm. her mom, you know, I mean, I mean, some families are total assholes and you shouldn't be a part of it ever, but I don't see that as the case here. You know, at least for on, on Harry's side, I don't know as much about, you know, Megan's dad and the siblings, but just by all accounts on Harry's side, there are some very nice people who care deeply about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't know about Harry's redemption, by the way, I was thinking about this. So he, um, he really, he really outed some people in his book and um, in the series and the things that he's said and, and done. And, I think he's so lost or he just appears to be so lost. And I think it's going to take him some real time to figure out where he goes from here. 
Like, I don't, I'm not saying there's not redemption for him, but I'm not even sure what it looks like. Cause he wasn't an influencer. He wasn't someone who was well known other than being a Royal. Um, so right. I, I just, I just don't know where he goes from here. Megan there's there. I feel like there's a, an avenue for her. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure there is for him yet. I think he's going to have to reinvent himself in a way that, um, you know, includes making amends with the people that he's hurt. I yeah. Know. I think Harry's road is honestly, I, I don't know if Harry has a brand opportunity outside of being a Royal. I think that he, his, what happens next for Harry, in my opinion, and actually what I hope to see happen is Harry, Archie and Lilibet start having a relationship with the Royal family, whether Megan is part of that or not in terms of like, whether she wants to have a relationship with her husband's family, because some people don't like their in-laws and like, that is what it is. I'm not one of those people. I love mine, but some people don't, and that's fine. And they don't all have to be best friends, but I think that Harry's next step is he just goes like he just becomes part of not necessarily a working royal but he just becomes like a member of the extended royal family again and like I don't he doesn't have anything else to necessarily like by his own admission he's not very book smart (laughs) he doesn't have a lot of like skills to offer up you know Megan can fall back on she's an actress she has experience in Hollywood she has experience working with brands Harry doesn't really have any experience doing anything other than being a member of the royal family and I think that that's kind of his only thing unless he's happy to just you know maybe he's happy to just be a dad in the background and let Megan always take the spotlight and maybe that maybe he maybe he could be content with that I mean he didn't like taking a backseat to his brother um or his nephew but maybe he's cool doing it with his wife and his own kids so well, here's what I think Harry does have going for him. And I have thought that since he was a little boy, he has empathy. Now, he didn't demonstrate it in <laughs> Spare. He didn't demonstrate it in his docuseries, but I know he has it. I've seen how he is with children. I've seen mm-hmm. how he is with people like at the Invictus Games. Um, he has a real heart for wounded birds. Like mm-hmm. he just, he just does. And for, and for small children, he's got a ton of empathy. If he could um, capitalize on that empathy and use it in a way that serves the public where he is not the center of the attention, I do mm-hmm. think there is redemption for him in that way. But he, that, that involves acknowledging your own hubris and your own brokenness and then making amends. There's a lot, there's a long road for him right. if he, if that was going to happen. But I do think he has empathy, which sometimes is greater than the smartest person in the world. If you have empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think there's redemption, but I think it would be a long road and you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to say, I'm sorry. It's, and not just, I apologize. Cause I think we had talked about this saying, I apologize and saying, I'm sorry are two very, very different things. Right. Um, or my favorite is, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> That's... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry I, you feel that way. Is Or like, I'm sorry if I made you feel that. It's like, no, 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 no. Nope. Yeah. I need you to be actually sorry for what you actually. Yes. Okay. God, I, that just drives me bananas. And I think with Harry too, one of the biggest things, like if he decides to do something charitable, as you were suggesting, 
it comes off as very disingenuous until we see him acknowledge what he's done wrong in this situation. You know what right. I mean? Like, right. I, I, it wouldn't feel honest because if he's doing something to support a children's charity or something, I'd be like, oh, well, remember that time you dragged your niece and your nephew's and niece's mother through the mud? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't care about kids. You don't care about their emotional well-being. You don't care about people's mental health because you have no problem hurting the people closest to you. And you don't care about their mental health or their well-being. So how am I supposed to believe you care about a stranger? You know? Right. And, like it's and just, I can, yeah, I can, I can promise you that, um, at some point he thought that writing spare and putting spare out there was going to give him some type of release. Like it was going to free him from all these feelings that he'd had and mm-hmm. he was going to be fixed and all that. Well, you're not meant to be fixed. We're all broken. You use your trauma. You use the things that have broken you and you do greater good for society. You don't use them to continue to hurt other people. You know what I mean? It doesn't just airing the things that hurt you so that you hurt other people doesn't fix anything. doesn't fix you. and doesn't fix them. And, and, and it doesn't allow you to make amends on their side or your side, even if there are things that they need to come to you and say, I'm sorry for um, airing their dirty laundry does not make that happen. You know, right. I think, you know, one of the things they talk about when you, you know, in addiction is you've got to go and make amends with all those people that you hurt, you know, in Matthew Perry's book. Um, oh, what was it called? friends, lovers, and the big terrible lie. I think it came out like a year ago and Mm -hmm. then bless him. He died. I loved him so much. But, um, one of the things he talks about is having to, I think it was his book, making amends with all the people that you hurt, you know, by doing the things that you did when you were an addict. And sometimes, you know, people have addictive like personalities, even when they don't have addictions, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I think that with, you know, one of the things with Harry and Meghan, I think one of their biggest things, like Harry, like you said, I think he thought Spare especially would be cathartic. I think he thought that he was going to, he he would feel better. But I also think on some level, he really believed that if he could just explain to people what was happening, they, meaning specifically his family, would understand where he was coming from and apologize they would see his side and like he would really like everyone would be understanding and I've said this before I don't think he considered the fact that any apology he may have been owed and perhaps he was owed an apology at some point he did so much worse by everybody that all he did is make a bad situation worse and like nobody owes him anything anymore and like now he's the one who has to turn around and be like, hey, I realize I like really messed up <laughs> and hurt you all and only did it so that a publisher would give me a big fat check and I'm really sorry. And like, I think if he has any chance of redemption for himself or like personally or privately with his family, I think it's going to be because everyone's willing to just put it aside for the kids because I think he's done so much damage to his relationship with his family that like they don't trust him they won't talk to him because they don't know what's going to be private and what's going to be published in a book or in a documentary or leaked to a reporter and I think the only way he comes back is if it's through the kids which also sucks because 
then he's got to like what uses like he's, is he gonna start using his children to get close to his family again like i don't know i don't know i think harry really really screwed the pooch on this one to use another silly <laughs> expression <laughs> that's one of my favorites that i like it um i don't disagree with you i think you're absolutely right and um I am right now and today sad for both of them because I think they have a long road ahead of them. Um, but uh, I also have a small degree of hope that they could turn around. Maybe they'll listen to our podcast and hear this really helpful advice <laughs> and change and change their ways. Listen, Harry, Megan, we're, we're delighted to talk to you. Call us. We can walk, we can walk you through what we think you should do to redeem your brand. Um, but I, I do have hope for, for both of them. And um, I want to thank everybody who has been a part of this Harry and Meghan series. I feel like we've aired a lot of stuff that, um, while maybe not life-changing for anybody, was certainly interesting. Um, and, yeah, entertaining. Uh, and we'll entertaining. And we will <laughs> continue to update you as we move forward in our new um, offshoot Royal podcast, still called Royal Mess um, you'll see when the when the um, episodes come out, you'll see a little bit of artwork on our logo. Um, so you'll know if it's a royal episode or not. But thank you for everybody for listening and um, you'll have a great day. Bye.